And welcome once again to Growing the Game with Ballsy. Really appreciate you checking out this podcast as we continue to try to help preserve and expand the three-down game we love, especially at the grassroots level. I'd like to thank my major sponsors for getting on board. The first title sponsor is Advantage Collision in Saskatoon and Prince Albert. And my buddy Ben Garrow, Advantage Collision, your SGI-accredited auto body repair shop. They're a family-owned and certified collision care OEM-approved auto body shop. They provide comprehensive service as part of a worldwide network of best in-class collision repair shops. Their customer service team can manage the entire process on your behalf to ensure everything you need is taken care of. Their high-performing, technically advanced team of auto body experts knows how to deliver exceptional workmanship and service in the shortest time possible. Choose Advantage Collision because they care about your safety. Our first quarter is brought to you by the good folks at Face First Medical Aesthetics, headed up by Crescinda to catch beat back father time in a naturally looking way. Face First Medical Aesthetics can be found on the top floor above Gabos. It's called Beauty Avenue, and it's on Dudney in the heart of downtown Regina. Our guest in the first quarter is Ryland Soko. Played his junior football as a receiver with the Regina Thunder. He's staying in Regina to play university ball with the Rams. Thanks for having me. All right, Winyard guy. And you're staying around the Regina area. Why did you decide on the Rams? You know, I looked at a few different programs. and I saw a great opportunity right here in Regina and a great coaching staff. And I'm excited to get working with them well you know the uh, U of S Huskies are known for producing linemen the Rams are known as receiver you I mean you can go through a list of them all the way back Addison Richards Chris Bauman um, uh, Jordan Sisko uh, I mean the list goes on and on and on and on Mitch Picton of course playing with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders how much did that factor in the fact they produce receivers at the next level no I definitely thought about that while making my decision and it's always great being able to follow in in the footsteps of great players like those guys. So you're on the Rough Riders radar. Uh, is that a goal of yours to uh, play professional football one day? Yeah, down the road, I definitely would would want to take a shot at it and see how far I can take football. I want to ask you about playing with the Regina Thunder. A couple of questions about that. First off, do you see that as a pretty good avenue for kids who might not be ready either because of school or just even their body makeup? They're not developed yet to play at that uh, that university level, to go play junior football and get game snaps. Oh, junior football is a great opportunity. And I think even if you are ready at that university level junior can still be a good option just because there are a lot of opportunities to get right on the field right away and you know develop your skills and work your way up right they um they've uh, turned into a program they being the thunder that have offered or starting to offer quite a few scholarships have you already been going to school did you take advantage of that while you were playing with the thunder yeah i was going to university the whole time uh while i was playing thunder and yeah, it's great to see that the programs having that success and being able to offer those scholarships to guys, because that's also an attractive feature yeah. that it used to be just universities offered and being, being a junior program and offering those opportunities, it, you know, it steps, it steps the program up. Right. So what are you taking in school, Ryland? 
Uh, I'm finishing up a degree in business. I'll be done in April here. So how many years eligibility do you have with the Rams then? I have three years of eligibility. It would have been two, but I was granted an extra one due to COVID. Okay. And do you plan to to, to look at the, using all three of those or, or what's your mindset? Uh, right now I'm, I'm one year at a time, but uh, I definitely see myself continuing to play football as long as I can. So yeah, just, just one year at a time, taking care of the body, staying healthy and going from there. And how is the body holding up? It's good. I uh, definitely had some recovery after that long season with the Thunder, but uh, I'm feeling good and ready to get back at it. So just sum up the season for me. It was a great season, but it didn't end great. No, and uh, that's, a, that's a tough part about sports, right? Like you, you do everything to prepare for those championship games and some days, some things don't go in your way. And it, you know, either way, it was still a great season and we had a lot to be proud about. And I'm proud of all those guys that we had on that roster. And you know, Hopefully it serves as a building block for the future. Talk about um, the program and how it feels like it's, I mean, listen, the, the Hilltops, the juggernaut team, they won all those championships in a row. But last year, it really felt like you guys kind of got over the hump the well, last couple of years uh, that you're kind of uh, on equal footing with the Hilltops now, the Thunder. Yeah, and I definitely think there's two top teams in Saskatchewan for junior football. Um the Thunder grew a lot in the five years that I spent with them. And you could see changes in the program, everything from players to um, board members and coaching, like everything. The program has come a long way. So it's it's exciting to see, you know, the Thunder being the standard or one of the standards in the CJFL. If you won the championship, would you have just moved on with uh, life or would you have played another? Uh, would you have done what you're doing now and play with the with the Rams? Uh, it, it's hard to say. I I think I'd still be playing football. I I still got that urge to to want to go further, and I want I want more out of football still. So mm-hmm. I, I want to say I would have kept going. How old are you, Ryland? Uh, Twenty two. Yeah, so I think that's probably why you're saying taking it a year at a time, right? Because uh, you don't you know if you, if you went three years, you'd be uh, you know right on the verge of 25 and then pro teams are looking at you and, and they might look at you and say, um, oh, and already starting to get a little bit old. Do you kind of have that ma- uh, mindset at all? Yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, I'm not as worried about that because yeah. I think if, if you got the talent, you got the skill, you're able to play, they'll, they'll give you a shot. Right. But, um, no, the biggest thing is just staying healthy. I, I noticed that recovery takes a little longer than when I was 18 years old. So, Taking care of the body is definitely a priority. Have you ever regretted one minute of playing football? No, never. <laughs> Nobody that I talk to in the moment ever does. Uh, but, you know, you play on a Saturday, Sunday morning, you're getting up, you're like, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? Yeah, there's there's tough mornings when you're, your body, you're wondering what you're doing to your body. And, uh, another one's the mind, right? Because concussions add up and stuff like that, but... So could pose a problem down the road, but right now, no, you got to, I think, live in the moment and keep enjoying playing it while you can. Well, the mentality, I've talked about this with my son. It's like you could be a 76, 78-year-old guy in a home staring out the window. Uh, I, I'd rather I'd rather have fun early in my uh, teens and 20s and shave some years off the back. Do you have that mentality? 
Uh, I definitely don't, maybe don't want to admit it out loud, but uh, definitely got to play well, well I can, Listen, I listen, nobody wants to have a concussion. What I mean is you want to live life, you want to play football, like you, you want to do some of the fun things instead of worrying about being, uh, you know, worried about getting hurt. You can get hurt anywhere. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you got to enjoy it. And as long as you love what you're doing, you, you keep doing it, right? Yeah. And so lastly, what has Mark McConkie told you he expects from you this year? What what are their plans for Ryland Sokol? Uh, we're still playing out how I'm going to fit in to the offense and stuff like that. But, uh, no, there's definitely opportunities with the, on the team. And, uh, yeah, just uh, get to work, keep working hard, and things will things will fall into place hey i'll slide one more in here was was uh was football always your love coming out of uh Winyard or was hockey at the top uh younger hockey would have been but by the time i got into high school football took it yeah it's funny too right like everybody dreams of being an nhl guy the funny thing is is if you actually focus on football and you want to play pro sports and not saying that's the end uh that's the end game you don't have to go into football to want to play pro sports but that's in Canada, you have a better chance of playing professionally as a football player as opposed to the other love, hockey. For sure, which is kind of crazy considering we think of hockey as our, our game, right? Yeah, for sure. Hey, Ryland, uh, congratulations on a great junior career and look forward to seeing you in the boys and the horns, okay? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. The second quarter is brought to you by the three-time Grey Cup champ and Saskatchewan football royalty. That would be Paul Waldo over at Royal LePage. Get in the real estate game by giving Paul a call at 306-502-5355. Now, Paul and Scott Flory were teammates in Montreal at the Alouettes, and they're teammates of a different kind now on the coaching staff for the U of S Huskies, a team that's been to the Vanier Cup the last two seasons in a row. We're catching up with their head coach, Scott Flory, right now to talk about the offseason and a look ahead to 2023. I uh, I still I still play. I'm active in the in the sport, so I'll I'll be able to I'll do okay. Awesome, man. What made you play uh, football instead of hockey, Scott? Growing up, like at, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, I I um honestly my path was I mean I was uh yeah started out as hockey as most kids do. Never never got into soccer or anything like that. And then uh, they put me in goal and and uh, and then I got to a point where I wanted to hit somebody and I couldn't hit anybody. So I'm like, forget <laughs> this business. So I got into football more and moved to Florida and. Uh, in hockey so but that's when i really started focusing on football you gotta be a good skater to be a goalie though yeah no i think i'm i think i'm okay i can uh you know i can do my uh cut some c's and do some crossovers so i'm all right that's awesome man who was your favorite hockey player growing up oh it was a patrick Waugh guy oh uh, really big time yeah big pat big time patrick Waugh. were you what did you think that night when he told uh the habs to go screw themselves when they lost 11-1 to their wings the the death look of yeah. uh, man I can't remember the coach Trombley yeah. Trombley I, I yeah oh yeah Trombley Mario Trombley I think uh, yeah no it's I mean and then I end up out there for a long time and it was pretty cool to be able to go to the games and be able to meet some of the especially some of the old timer guys and I used to spend a, a fair bit of time with with Dick Irvin reminiscing about Regina and he used to live down in the 
uh, cathedral area and, and his father and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just talking about that, it was it was actually quite neat. There's there's quite a connection between Regina and Saskatchewan and Montreal. You know, it's uh, it's such a storied franchise in terms of winning, especially you know in the last in the 2000s, uh, ni- the late 90s, the Montreal Alouettes. I'm talking about. But as an alumni guy, you know, how concerned are you that there seems to be a little bit of uncertainty there at the ownership level? It seems like uh, since Wetnall was done, it's just been kind of a you know in a state of luck so to speak yeah i think that that stability is the the one thing you need stability on all facets and they just haven't been able to find that since bob i maybe this you know with the the pure luke palador or whatever the rumors are that they're talking with this guy um yeah i, I think you you just see it in all you need it at the ownership you need it at the front office level and you get the coaching level to have success in sport and you look at any sport uh, throughout the world really they have that those things they're not always trying to search and find things and um, and they, they they need that out there in Montreal, but I'm I'm confident they'll figure it out. Is it hard to get stability at the U Sports level? How do you go about doing that? Uh, you do your due diligence and you hire good people, I think, and then you you trust and you believe in them. I think you know you look at um, you know it's it's not that different south of the border in, in college football either. It's just you know you you put some good people in place, you give them some resources and and uh, and, and support them, and, and generally good things are going to happen. So. It, you, you need that stability, I think, for, especially for the student-athletes. It's not pro sports um, where you, you can have a little bit more turnover and the expectations are a little bit different, uh, but you still you still need to have expectations, obviously. But I think that uh, that stability will ser- generally serve you better in the long run. Is this where you kind of want your program to be? You've been at the Vanier Cup but you know, and losing two years in a row. Not to lose, but just to be a regular uh, a competitive team. It looks like you – I liken you guys to when the Dinos had that really long stretch where they were the they were the bell cow in Canwest. I feel like the U of S Huskies are getting there. Yeah, well, I, I think you just look at our program historically – uh, ballsy over the last hundred years i think uh you know we've won more conference titles than anybody else in our conference to my knowledge and you know regular attendance in 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 national events and bowl games and all that kind of stuff and that's the expectation that we have around here so um you know we we're, we we fully plan on getting back and winning it <laughs> but um yeah i mean that's just the expectation we have football's a big deal up here it's important to our institution our city um, it, it, and it's a priority, so we expect to win. Now, of course, uh, Mason Nias' era is over. I just want a quick comment on your thoughts on uh, you know what he brought to your program and, and maybe a little bit of a lasting legacy because he was a great leader. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just spoke with him yesterday. No, Mason's a great kid, taking his, his life out to the West Coast there. Um, you know, and, and, and happy and, and proud of him. And, you know, he was obviously he's a, he's a great ambassador of our program. And, um, you know, I mean, got to spend seven years of them with a redshirt year and a COVID year. So obviously uh, close with the, with the young man and, and wish him nothing but the best. But, yeah, I mean, he set a, you know, I think he set a, a standard within our, within our program, not only from performance side of things, but, um, you know, how he carried himself and uh, how he transcended the locker room and, and just his, his demeanor and character. We're, uh, we're, we're vital to our success. You guys have a great uh, team coming back. You don't have a lot of changes, but we mentioned nice. That's the biggest change. How do you how do you fill that void? Uh, yeah, no, we, we've we've got two uh, two young men that I'm fully confident in that can that can lead us uh, that can win a ton of games and lead us to a championship. So defensively, I mean, we turned over, we lost a couple nose tackles uh, and replaced that with Reese McCormick there at the Thunder, who's who's an mm-hmm. elite player in my opinion. Uh, and then on the on the offense side, we really only turn over as a quarterback. Now that's a big void. Don't get me wrong, but like I said, we've got uh, two elite uh, guys there that I've uh, 
we'll, we'll be just fine at quarterback. You alluded to McCormick, a guy that uh, toiled a bit with the Rough Riders and, of course, with the Thunder here. What, what do you uh, like about Reese McCormick? I, no, I've liked him for a long time. Uh, he, he uh, you know, I remember him coming to our camps in high school and he just, he had some knee issues and he wasn't quite sure about school and he, you know, needed a little bit of time and because I know he lost his grade 12 year and then he had an injury and uh, he ended up, uh, got that opportunity there with the Thunder with, with Coach McCauley, with Scott there and uh, obviously had a phenomenal two years. Um, I mean, he's not even, I think he's just 19, not even 20 years old yet. So, He's got a he's got a ton of potential, a ton of future ahead of him, um, and yeah, we're really excited to you know because he's he's a guy that's going to have an immediate impact. I don't doubt. My teammate here on the sports cage is Glenn Suter. He's the MC of your uh, breakfast, the dogs' breakfast, and you got Marshall Fall coming. <laughs> uh, greatest show on turf. That's a nice uh, nice little get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to to see and to. to uh, to listen to him speak and, and, and to be able to meet him and, and be around him for a little bit. He is uh, for sure one of the best running backs in NFL history. I mean, the guy was NFL MVP and Super Bowl champion, all that uh, pro football uh, Hall of Famer. So, um, yeah, we're really excited and, and uh, you know, we're, we're thankful to, to MNP and, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, they stepped up from MNP, actually a St. Matthew guy in South End, Regina with, with MNP, they're sponsoring the Marshall Falk coming up here. So it's going to be, it's going to be a great event. The dog's breakfast Thursday, May 4th. It's going to be really good. That, and that's very, that's a very important fundraiser uh, for you guys, obviously. Yeah, it is. I mean, with all the money going towards uh, the scholarships and student athletes. So it's just, you know, we ask a lot of these guys, I don't know if people really understand, oh. uh, you know, you got to not only be a full-time student, but, you know, we expect six to eight hours a day out of them as well on top of being a full-time student. So it's, it's, uh, it's a full-time job. And uh, the more that we can help out with their, uh, with their academic journey, the better off we'll be and, and all the student athletes across Canada. I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause my son sometimes says, you know, dad, I, it's, it's tough not having your own money. You know, you don't have a job. I said, well, actually, Ethan, you've got a job. Being a student athlete <laughs> is a job, right? It, it absolutely is. I mean, like I said, you got to take a full course load, on top of the six plus hours or whatever that we demand on a, on a daily basis, just being a part of the team and, and practice and workouts and all that kind of stuff. It absolutely is. Uh, the kids learn time management pretty quickly. And I, you know, I think though, though you, you look at employers and they're always looking for athletes because of the discipline, the team and um, you know, just the, that uh, the, the commitment to it and just what it takes to, to exceed and to excel as a, as a student athlete is, it's not for everybody. That No, that's a good way to put it, Scott. Absolutely. My last question to you since you brought this up, it, has it changed much from when you played? Like, you were a driven guy, so you probably did a lot of work on your own. But have the demands as a player changed from the university side? Yeah, I, I think that we we demand more. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the athletes, there is more to it, right? I mean, it wasn't just, uh, you know, there's no more smoking cigarettes at halftime in the <laughs> locker room and showing up at training camp to get in shape, right? Like, those days are, are long gone. The advances in sports science and the, the physical and the, obviously the nutrition side of things and just the level of demand and, and expectation that we have and, and that the athletes have. And there's more kids playing football. There's just, there's there's more to it. Um, and it, it's not easy on, on, the, on, our, on our young men and our program, but they handle it uh, incredibly well, and we do our best to support them. And that's, that's where the dog breakfast comes into play is if, if we can take a little bit of that financial burden off their plate and be able to help them out with, uh, with the financial costs of school, um, better off we all are. Learning with Fernand, get smarter every day. Learning with Fernand, you're sure to get an A. If you've got a question,
question and Google just won't do. You just ask Vernon, you'll have an answer soon. Sure enough. Caller, go ahead. Hey, Vernon. I need a new truck and I can't decide. Ford, Chevy, or Dodge? Well, if you decide on a Ford, remember the rule. What's that? You can't buy a number of trucks smaller than your weight. Oh, then I should get the F-250 and not the F-150. Exactly. Wait, I just met a girl on FarmersOnly.com and she drives a F-350. <laughs> Let's hope that's her daddy's truck. I'll let you know, but I'm not opposed to big girls. More to love. Sure enough. Thanks, Vernon. Get trucking. Vernon with Vernon, you'll have an answer soon. And we've reached halftime here, episode 336, Growing the Game with Ballsy, and it's time to recognize another one of our title sponsors. That would be Regina Football Royalty, the only Saskatchewan kid to win a Super Bowl, played with a number of teams in the CFL, but got his start. NOD in Regina, went to Sheldon, though, in the South End, Rams, and then, like I said, CFL, NFL. That'd be John Ryan, always giving back to the community here in Regina, including this podcast course the gear up with john ryan foundation outfitted a lot of the youngest football players in our community at halftime we always catch up with our health and lifestyle expert it's tish duffy in the train with tish segment all right tish i follow you on all the social media channels uh, so it's train with tish if you want to follow her we kind of wet people's appetite here but they can have a deeper dive with a lot of your great posts let's talk about five things we can do in our 20s and 30s so we can enjoy life after 40 Okay, this is a great topic. Um, My first recommendation is to never stop resistance training or strength training in your 20s and 30s. Uh, A lot of my clients get frustrated with the lack of results, but it's because their habits aren't aligning with the efforts that they're spending in the gym. So if they keep up with their efforts in the gym, because in your 20s and 30s, that's when you're going to put on the, the most muscle the easiest. So if you keep doing all of your hard work in your 20s and 30s, when life calms down in your 40s and 50s and your habits just organically and naturally improve, you'll see all that hard work and dedication that you put in all those years prior. Um, the second tip would be avoid drastic weight loss uh, changes like fix, uh, like quick fixes and, and diets that are going to get you dramatic results quickly. The body doesn't really respond well to that long term. So you want to make sure that if you're losing weight, you do it gradually and safely so you're not wrecking your metabolism uh, because as you get older, your body will get a little less um, forgiving for those types of weird behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, number three would be always prioritize lifting over cardio. So cardio is great for conditioning your heart and lungs. Um, weightlifting is going to be the thing that changes the shape of your body and your overall level of fitness. So always prioritize uh, your strength. Now, of course, cardio is something that you have to include. Um, I, re- I recommend getting steps in and getting hypoxic a couple days a week, but really want to focus um, your journey on the strength component. Number four, I would suggest you always surround yourself with like-minded people. Um, it's really hard to stay healthy and stay in that mindset if you're uh, surrounding yourself with a bunch of people who are trying to sabotage that. So I always say, if your friends are criticizing your efforts, then you need new friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last thing, obviously, would be to hire a professional before you really begin your strength training journey. There's a lot of things that are important to learn, like form and just general um, strength training principles, 
You want to know what progressive overload is. It's not overwhelming, but it is important to know that you know what you're doing when you first start. So this, those would be my first, my top five. These these are great suggestions from our professional Tish Duffy. Go check her out. Train with Tish and all the social media channels. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, Michael. Have a great day. <laughs> Our third quarter is brought to you by Hammer Time Roofing in Saskatoon. Saskatoon's only certainteed roofing business, specializing in GAF, certainteed, and malarkey roofing. Give Kevin Welsh and his gang a call at 262 Roof. CFL Commish Randy Ambrosi talks about the recent sale of the Montreal Alouettes and the league shifting its attention to a 10th team in the Maritimes. Yeah, you know what? Uh, so proud today to. Uh introduce pierre carl palado as the new owner of the alouettes you know he and his colleagues were one of the very first groups to express a a strong interest in owning the team and they handled themselves so professionally so thoughtfully all the way through the piece it was clear to us they were looking for a long-term relationship with the league and uh and 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 the way they managed the process was indicative of a group that really want to be part of what we're building at the league. So just every, in every way you would look at this, it was a really good day for the Alouettes, but a really, really good day for the CFL. Now I understand you had quite a few groups interested. I think you were quoted, correct me if I'm wrong, like nine or 10 other groups that wanted, or nine other groups that wanted a piece of this uh, action, so to speak. What set his bid apart from theirs? Well, yeah, I, again, I think it really boiled down to this. From the very moment they started talking to us, I spoke to to Pierre Carl. He made it clear they wanted to, they wanted to make this happen. They were prepared to work, you know, very hard uh, to to do it quickly. They they wanted to take control of the team so that you know they could set it on a path for you know for great results in 23 and beyond. But really, it was just the way they went about this. They were so they were so precise in their commitment. They were looking for a win-win arrangement with the league. I mean, this this has turned out to be a great outcome for for the CFL. A great outcome from them. They they managed themselves that way from the very outset. They they were looking for a way to be a good partner. If you ask me, one of the things that distinguished them is they really wanted to be great partners to the CFL, and then. The last thing is when Pierre Carl met with our governors, which we had two separate calls, it was obvious to the governors just how passionate he was. You know, very much like the Bob Young story, Bob and and uh, and what Bob has done in Hamilton, very much like Amar Dolman and what he's done in BC. Uh, they saw very similar qualities in Pierre Carl and you know that local. We look, we haven't had a we haven't had a local owner in in Montreal for four decades. We have that now, and um, and I believe the the future is bright for the Alouettes. Okay, so uh, he of course has a, a media group that would uh, be a competition against your rights holders. So was that important? Uh, you know that he bought, you know takes this under just his own name, so to speak. Well, the, the, taking it under his name was that that was Pierre Carl's decision, and. Uh, Look, in the end, I, I can say this, that, that no time during the discussions where we focused on anything other than Pierre Carl Palado being the owner of the Alouettes, that was the entire conversation. Uh, they were focused on wanting to own the team and, uh, and doing it quickly. And as I said, uh, uh, a win-win type of outcome. Uh, you know, our rights, our rights deal, we've got a great partnership, as you know, with Bell and TSN and RDS. 
Uh, that deal runs through 26. Look, we're going to be now incredibly focused on helping the Alouettes, you know, uh, get on track under new ownership. And we're going to be focused on growing our business, you know, for, uh, 23, 24, 25, and 26. And that'll lead us to, you know, to the future in our right field. But that that wasn't part of the conversation at any point. Randy Ambrosi joining us here on the Sports Cage. We're happy the commissioner's giving us a, a few minutes of his time on a pretty big day for the CFL as they sell the Montreal Alouettes. He owns a he owns a media company though, so he should be really solid with the messaging and coupled uh, with the fact that he's local. That should help stabilize and hopefully grow this brand in Montreal and he mentioned in Quebec at large well you know in fact one of the things that uh, we saw throughout the process was uh, the resources that they have at their disposal they, they own two junior hockey teams they are already in the marketing of sports business they're in the they're in ticket selling business they do all of those things and he made it clear that all of those resources would be made available to the operation of the Alouette. So, you know, there was so much comfort, so much comfort at the league, uh, you know, around uh, what it would look like to have uh, Pierre Carl as the owner of the team that made this uh, made that made this process really easy. And then again, just the way he approached it, you know, you, if he, I was with him today for several hours. He's, he just had that genuine, authentic smile and had two little boys and they were wearing their Alouettes jerseys. It was actually quite, quite something to see it. Uh, you know, just again, I think they're the right group at the right time with the right resources and, uh, and they'll help to grow the Alouettes and, and they'll make the CFL stronger. Randy Ambrosi is the face of the league, but it's not his league. He uh, has bosses. So when, it, when a decision is made, we just can't say it was Randy Ambrosi. But I got to ask you from a league perspective, if you can talk on this, any regrets or if you could do it over again, would you, would you sell to a 91-year-old guy as opposed to maybe looking local the last time around? Well, you know, look, to be clear, we, we, we did look local last time. We just couldn't find an arrangement that could work for us. And it, uh, look, I, I almost think, Michael, you have, to, you have to flip this around and look at it through a different lens. Mm -hmm. You know, Gary Stern and Sid Spiegel um, took the team over at per, perhaps the worst time in human history to own a sports team. Obviously, they didn't even get to play a game in 2020. 2021 was hard. And, you know, they stood by us and they invested money into the team. I actually think we, we all could just take a, take a moment and say um, we owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Spiegel and to Gary for, you know, investing in the team at a, a, during a very difficult time. And we were able to make today's announcement. We were able to announce a great local owner today because of Sid Spiegel and Gary Stern. So, Look, I, I will always feel a sense of gratitude to Gary and Sid uh, for buying the team. And again, I think they got us through one of the worst times in sport in the sports world's history. And uh, and today was a celebration of what they allowed us to do to get through those tough times. And now uh, now the team's in a, in a set of hands that will guide it for uh, for many many years to come. Okay, well said, Randy. Lastly, before I let you go on this uh, monumental and busy day, um, there's talk. The, you know, we got a we got touchdown Atlantic. The Riders are a part of it for a second straight year. Uh, Dave Naylor had a report that uh, things seem to be brewing in Halifax. To me, it feels, and I've been around this league a long time, Randy, even watching you play back in the day, okay? It feels 
like it's time to do something or move on in Atlantic Canada? Where are we at there? Yeah, you know, look, I think we've approached this latest phase with, you know, not to say uh, do it or, or get out, but certainly there is a sense of great purpose that we are brought to this project. Look, in the last the last six weeks, have been a, we've been a little busy on other matters, but uh, David Goldstein, uh, our chief operating officer, and I were just talking about this last night. We'll take about we'll take about 18 hours off, uh, uh, you know, dust ourselves off after today's success, and then we're going to focus really hard on our expansion project. I think it is time. I look. I one of the think, great things about the recent conversations in Atlanta, Canada is this idea of temporary permanent that we don't we don't have to start with uh you know with a mosaic type of stadium we can start uh you can start with something that gets us in the market we know how successful touchdown was hey that was largely a bleachers game and people loved it the energy was you know was through the roof so look i think we put ourselves in a good position but michael i don't disagree look i think we got to go in we gotta be. We have to have a lot of energy and a lot of discipline, and I think it is time to get it done. And that's the mindset we're going to apply to it. Let me squeeze one more in here, Randy. You mentioned uh, about uh, Spiegel and Stern, and you're absolutely right. They took over a team in the worst possible time. Had that time not happened, do you think we'd already have an announcement about a team in Halifax on the verge of coming? Do you know what I mean? Do you think we'd be way further ahead in this process? Because it seems oh, like it seems like COVID set everything back and changed a lot of plans. Yeah, you know, remember, Michael, I mean, it's, first of all, I appreciate you asking the question and raising the point. Look, we were in uh, in 2019. We had, uh, we had funding approved by Halifax Regional Council. There was a huge bit of momentum there. Uh, things were, you know, discussions were very intense around uh, getting it done, uh, and uh, again, COVID changed the world. And so, look again, you don't, you don't, let's not dwell on that because that's not the story. The story is that uh, we're through that period. We know getting our tenth team is a is important to the future of the league, and now we seem to have momentum again. But Michael, with your to the point you made, we have a sense of purpose that we need to get in and get it done and that's the way uh, that's the way we're going to uh, approach it well i like the positivity hey it's a great day in the cfl thanks for taking time out of your schedule randy i appreciate it michael always good to talk to you and let's say let's it's a date for that pizza so let's make sure we get that on the books and uh it is a day that we took care of business and always a pleasure to talk to you <laughs> And our fourth quarter of Growing the Game with Ballsy is brought to you by the Sasselex football program operating out of the Yar Center in Moose Jaw here in Saskatchewan, but they've spread to Manitoba and Alberta as well, building the football stars of tomorrow today at Zelko Stefanovic, his great wife Deb, and their various coaches. Well, our fourth quarter guest is Jorgen Hughes, the Rough Riders' outstanding long snapper, former Regina Ram, who moved to Regina from Saskatoon. He talks about his excitement over the upcoming season, and he's looking forward to being a guest at the Regina Rams' sports dinner later in April. You're going to be on the stage with uh, Mitch Picton, your new quarterback, Trevor Harris, and, of course, Tavon Campbell. You know, a Saskatoon guy coming to Regina to play football, that's still kind of odd. A lot of Saskatonians. Some more are since you uh, did it, but a lot of Saskatonians don't go south to play football, meaning Regina. It's usually the other way around. Yeah, and I mean, I get that question all the time, like, well, why didn't you just play for the Huskies? Well, 
the Huskies didn't want me. So and I got a call from, you know, the Regina Rams and, you know, they showed interest and uh, it was kind of at that stage when I was looking to take the next step because I was too small to play college right out of high school. So, you know, junior was the program for me. And um, for me, it was always going to be that kind of developmental, you know, stepping stone type thing um, to get to college. So I could, you know, ultimately reach my, reach my goal of playing professionally. So um, I was more than happy when, when the Rams called and I had such a great time there. So many connections, guys that I obviously still talk to and I'm really looking forward to getting back and just, um, yeah, checking in and seeing some old faces and, uh, the panel is going to be great. I mean, like you said, myself, um, Picton and Tavon Campbell. Yeah. And, and Trevor Harris going to be cool. there too. What do you think? What do you think of Trevor Harris joining the team? I think it's great. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's exactly what they wanted, you know, a proven veteran, um, who can make all the throws and is going to stand in there and, and do his thing. And I, I think we got a lot of good dudes on the team, uh, you know, you, you need the talent and all those other things, but I think they we got a lot of character, um, which is going to be huge for us. So, um, I I really like our roster. I think we're gonna we're gonna do some things this year. I yeah, really do. Yeah, you're not you're not. I don't think you're as far away as maybe the six and twelve record indicated. Oh no, we're we're gonna be a, we're gonna be a good team. Um, and we've got good leaders. So yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think that's the key. How much how much are you a leader in that locker room? Well, you know, I, I try to be, I, I'm not a big rah-rah, you know, vocal guy. I try and lead by example, you know, being there early, doing the right things, being on time, you know, being where you're supposed to be, um, when you're supposed to be there. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm the long snapper. So, um, there's only so much I can do. It means more when it comes from a quarterback or, you know, your, your, your stud, you know, Larry Dean, you know, um, so I kind of let those guys take that vocal part and I, you know, do my best to lead by example and, you know, be there if anybody needs anything. And, um, yeah. I had Glenn Suter on the show yesterday, obviously longtime holder for the Rough Riders along with the safety. That is, that is, uh, to me, the most intricate uh, thing in professional sports. The, the, the long snap, like on the field goal, you got to have the long snapper, you got to have the holder and you got to have the kicker all working in unison and do it very quickly. Like we're talking like inside of two seconds, just talk about that, you know, that intricacy of the, the long snap, because, you know, Suter was saying, Hey, uh, Polly would always say to me, okay, where, where are the laces? Oh, they were at three o'clock. Then he'd do it again. Where were they? They were at seven o'clock. And then finally, he'd get it down for 30 straight snaps or they are at 12 o'clock and the and the holder never had to spin the ball just talk about it from your perspective yeah no exactly I mean it's a lot goes into it and it happens in like you said less than a second and a half I mean our op times we were in that one three one point three five second range um sometimes Brett's a little quicker if things are going well um but it just comes down to reps and reps and reps and and the better I can do my job makes it easier on the holder so he doesn't have to spin the laces and then, you know, if Brett's looking at, uh, you know, a ball that, you know, the laces are out, it's he's going to make that kick every time. So whenever, you know, if people just kind of take it for granted, the whole operation, yeah. the snap, the hole, it's going to it's going to do itself. But there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, if a kicker misses, well, maybe the laces were off a little bit. Maybe they were staring straight at him and he kicked them. You know, there's there's a lot of other factors. So. You know, we got to be on our game to help Brett out. And when we do our jobs, then, then Brett always puts it through. So I think what's interesting, Jorgen, is it's like a quarterback. When a quarterback throws a football and it's a tight spiral, way easier to catch. The receiver doesn't even have to think about it. If it's off just a little bit, if it wobbles a bit, that's when you get a lot of your drops. Same thing with the long snap. You're throwing a tight spiral between your legs. 
Yeah, exactly. So you want to throw a catchable ball. And then, you know, another big thing on the field goals is having the laces straight out every time, like you said, at 12 o'clock, so that the holder doesn't have to rotate them. And it sounds really hard, but the ball only spins like three times um, mm. on field goals. So, um, you know, you do enough reps and if you get your, your throw uh, consistent, then the laces just turn out. It's just about kind of finding the distance. Am I at seven yards and a foot? Am I at seven yards and two feet? Or am I right at eight? And for us, we're right at eight. That's when, mm. when we get our perfect laces. As long as the, the distance is the same and the holder catches it in the same spot, they should turn out pretty good most of the time. The changes to the game where you can't really uh, line up over the center or leap over him or, or hit him when you're going covering a punt, how much has that uh, helped you out and maybe uh, keep your career around a lot longer? Uh, You know, to be honest, they still come. <laughs> I don't know that it's really changed a whole lot. At least it doesn't feel that way anyway. And I... I wouldn't have it any different. You know, I kind of liked when they were able to line up right over top of you. I think it, it demands more out of the long snapping position. Um, it shouldn't be easy. You know, we don't want to just let someone in the, to the league to take their job that, you know, it's a bit of a cakewalk. So I, you know, I, I like it. I accept the challenge. I think it's, it's how the game should be and no complaints there. How long do you want to do this for yet, Jorgen? Um, a couple more years for sure. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, how did you get into it? Like, how did you decide, Hey, this is my path to the CFL or the uh, NFL. Cause well, you tried out there was, too. Yeah. I was a linebacker growing up in, in junior and university and then kind of got better at the long snapping thing. And I went to some camps down South and then I thought, Hey, you know, I, I got a real shot at this and it seems like a way to have a longer, healthier career. So I'm going to, I'm going to go that route. So just started working my tail off at long snapping and my third year with the Regina Rams was my last year and got some interest down south and that's kind of how it happened. And just before we wrap up this show, we've got our extra point, but before we fill you in on that, we need to recognize our last title sponsor. And that would be our good friends, Aubrey Stedman and his great family running the Regina Sports Performance Center in the heart of the Queen City. Its goal is to provide a center of excellence for athletes through the provision of a facility for leading edge sports training and rehabilitation. They've got an indoor football field 24 yards wide by 50 yards long with stadium quality turf and markings for soccer and lacrosse as well. Two regulation size three on three courts on a poly turf rubberized surface with markings for two pickleball and badminton courts. Scott Anderson, the Regina and area renowned physiotherapist is on site. We've got a weight training facility at the Regina Sports Performance Center and of course an area for cardio as well. And not just high-level performance athletes are welcome. Guys like me, ladies like you, you're welcome to come in as well. It's located at 1464 Broadway Avenue. Check them out online at reginasports.ca. Here on the Extra Point, Three Down Nation's John Hodge has come out with his first look at the CFL Draft. And uh, on my Sports Cage show on 620 CKRM, I had a chance to uh, go through his draft and point out the things that will affect the Riders maybe or the local teams, the Huskies and the Rams. Sorensen to the house! A pick six! 
As you know, we're going to have the CFL draft in its entirety here on 620 CKRM, the only radio station in the country to do this because we are the flagship station of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and really the most prominent voice for CFL football on the radio airwaves right here, 620 CKRM. John Hodge, who's a regular contributor on the Sports Cage, came out with his mock draft 1.0 as the draft goes down officially May the 2nd. And he has the Rough Riders taking defensive lineman Lawal Aguak from TCU. The six foot five, 271 pound defender didn't play much for the Horn Flogs following a transfer from the University of Connecticut, but has all the tools to become an impact CFL player. Aguak brings impressive length and quickness to compete along the interior or coming off the edge. So Hodge has Aguak going at number three to the Rough Riders. Number two in the pick six, he's got the Riders taking offensive lineman Eduardo Paradis from Houston Christian. The native of Quebec was a two-year starter at guard with the Huskies in the Southland Conference of the FCS. The six foot four, 320 pound blocker started his collegiate career at New Mexico Military Institute and as Hodge reports, named an all Southwest Junior College Football Conference honorable mention. Number three on the pick six, John Hodge has the Ottawa Red Blacks at number 12 taking U of R Rams defensive lineman Anthony Bennett. He's a six foot three, 230 pound edge rusher and was named a first team U Sports All-Canadian this past season. What a season he had, 38 total tackles, 12 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks and one interception to go along with one fumble recovery. Uh, this guy's gonna contribute right away on special teams and maybe rotating in on defensive end alongside other fellow national players. Number four of the pick six, staying with the Regina Rams theme, John Hodge in his first mock draft has the Rough Riders taking linebacker Josh White, who's been on the show before. The six foot, 219 pound defender was overshadowed at times this past season by Rams teammate Ryder Varga, a BC Lions prospect. White was solid in his own right though. He made 29 and a half total tackles, five of them for loss and two sacks. Really good at the point of attack. And the Riders, of course, will need some depth in the linebacking core behind Micah Tights, who's coming off a groin injury. Number five on the pick six. According to John Hodge, he has the Stampeders in his first mock draft, taking offensive lineman Dayton Black from the U of S at number 22. The native of Brandon, Manitoba, was a Can West All-Star this last year after taking over the left tackle spot from BC Lions draft pick Noah Zerb. Black's a former high school quarterback, but uh, he's a little big for that now at six foot six, 295 pounds, as he uses that big frame and hands not to throw the football anymore, but protect the quarterback. And finally on the pick six, John Hodge has Jackson Ford, the grandson of former rider great Al Ford, going to the Toronto Argonauts. Jackson played a kind of a Swiss army knife role for the Rams last year. Half halfback, half safety, was in the box at times. He was named a Can West All-Star and second team U Sports All-Canadian. He's fast, he's physical, he's got a great upside with a high football IQ and would add some depth behind starting safety Royce Mechie. And the Argos, if you remember, have had some good success taking a Regina defensive back as Josh Haggerty a couple of seasons ago was a long shot to make the team. He did and ended up being a Grey Cup champion this past November in the Queen City in Grey Cup 109 in that upset win over Winnipeg. That's your pick six. 
Thanks to John Hodge for doing a great job at Three Down Nation covering the league. He will be part of our draft coverage on May the 2nd here as we cover the draft from pillar to post. First time a radio station has covered the CFL draft in audio form from start to finish. Make sure you join us on May the 2nd. Hearing your voice of Rough Riders football, 620 CKRM.